Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Thank you, God, for being in this place, for being among us, for raising us up as true worshipers. Jesus said there's a day coming. This is something he said 2,000 years ago. He said, there's a day coming when true worshipers will arise and they'll worship in spirit and truth. And this conversation is found in John 4 as he's having this conversation with this woman who is asking him, where, do, where are we supposed to worship, in the temple in Jerusalem or uh, in Samaria on, on Mount Gerizim? And there's this battle between religious acceptance, religious tradition, you know, expectations from people and from men. And they're like, how do we do this? Well, how do we do it right? How do we know we're doing it right? And Jesus said, you know, there's a day coming when it won't matter where you worship. True worshipers will arise in spirit with all their heart and in truth, according to the word of God, according to the truth, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And anytime two or more gathered in his name, that's where God is. You don't have to go to a place. You don't have to be a part of a certain family. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you believe on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. And wherever you go, the Father is right there with you. It's so amazing. Thank you for being here. It's no coincidence that everyone that is here today is here today. And I am honored to be here with you and encouraged by your presence and encourages us when you choose to gather with us on Sunday mornings. And for those that are online, those that are watching, we're encouraged by your presence and your engagement. And uh, we're so thankful that you are with us today. We believe everyone matters to God. In this day and age, that is a message that needs to be proclaimed. Everyone matters to God. And there are various things going on in this world, which is why I believe this message in this series has come at just the right time. It's pertinent, especially in the times that we're living now, as we're talking about God's will to heal, that his plan, his will, his vision for the world is for the healing of the nations, that we'd be whole, mind, body, and soul. And he sent Jesus to unleash the catalytic event that would bring that vision into fruition. And this is something that is very near and dear to God's heart. And so I believe that now more than ever, believers need to arise and take their place in the kingdom of God. It's not about where you worship or how you worship. It's about who you worship. And if he lives in you, that should be evident in your life. It should be on your lips. Just like my wife read in Psalm 149, let the praise of God be on their lips and a two-edged sword in their hand. But far too often we have believers who are tight-lipped. And we wonder why the world is the way it is. We have an enemy, we face an enemy that excels at division. If he can't divide the nation, he'll divide the church. If he can't divide the church, he'll divide your home. He's going to divide wherever he is. And that's why in Proverbs, the Proverbs says, there are seven things the Lord hates, one of which is someone who sows discord into a family. God hates division. That's why the Holy Spirit unites. He doesn't divide. One thing unites all of humanity, red and yellow, black and white, 
They are all precious in his sight. What unites us? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the equal playing field. It's where the rich have to bow to, the impoverished, those who are in poverty and destitute have to crawl to. It's the place we all have to gather in the same place to encounter our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no division in the Lord. It's an equal playing field. Our enemy excels at division, discord, anger, hate, violence, everything he can do, Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy. This is all he wants to do. God created the earth. He created it and said it is good. And the enemy looked at it and says, well, I can do something about that. And he's trying to destroy everything God has made, which is why in our day and age, if your response to injustice, and I want to say this very clearly, if your response to injustice, the church should respond to injustice. Micah 6.8 says, I will show thee, O man, what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Justice ought to be in the heartbeat of every believer. But if your response to justice includes stealing, killing, or destroying, you are not on the right side. I will walk down a street with anyone standing up for justice, but the minute you side with the enemy, I am in opposition to you. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Bless those that despitefully use you. Turn the other cheek. Our response to hate is not more hate. It is demonstrating the love of God as he proclaimed it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we're getting to another area, really the last two of the six reasons why we've been discussing why when we pray for healing, often people go unhealed, why God heals some and doesn't heal others. We're really getting into the last two areas that come under this umbrella of spiritual warfare. We are involved, as believers in Christ, we are involved in a spiritual battle every day of our lives, every moment of our lives. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not people that are the problem. It's the person or the power behind the people that are the problem. This is an umbrella of spiritual warfare, and this is the current event in our nation. It's the perfect illustration as we're looking at the protests. It is not really a stance against uh, justice. It is an evident Reality, an evidential reality of the truth that if we're not walking in the truth, we will fall prey to anything. And this is why the enemy is a deceiver. He lies, he deceives, so he can lead us to our own demise. The enemy is sowing a lie and fueling a victim mentality, not just in one area of the culture, but in a lot of areas of the culture. This victim mentality that says, I've been wronged and I deserve more than I deserve. Americans keep themselves bound to the limits of this stronghold, this lie, holding back their success, as well as creating future enemies and people that aren't enemies. They're risking their lives to try to save yours. By and large, what we see in our world today, what has morphed from peaceful protests into violent fits of rage, all in the name of racism, what we see is really the reality of the lie of the enemy. It's a belief in systemic lies that sow nothing but fear, hate, and rebellion. The Bible teaches us in Romans, Paul tells us to respect authority. When our government is 
leading us, we have to recognize that God has placed them there. This is why it's a sin to decry your government. And I'm not saying we have to agree with everything they say, but it's just as wrong to talk bad about Trump as it was to talk about Barack Obama. It doesn't matter who's in the office. They're appointed there by God to exact his will in the nation. We are to respect, to honor those that are above us. And when they are leading us, and it's not in conflict from, in, with God's will in the word of God, we are to submit to the powers above. And the Bible tells us that if you commit a crime and you reap consequences for that crime, it's not injustice. It's merely the consequences of your actions. But our enemy would like to twist that and create falsehoods to create victims and fuel rage, hate, and division. Again, Ephesians 6.12 says, We're fighting not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers. This is the reality behind the reality. If you're watching the news and you're seeing everything unfold, don't let your mind or your heart focus on an individual or a group. Let it focus on the one who's really in charge. There are spiritual powers behind our culture, demonic forces we press up against every day of our lives, and we can see their handiwork just as we look out into the world and and the things that we take place. The Bible reveals to us really three main spiritual powers in this world. They're the unholy trinity that have influence over the entire planet, and we can see a lot of their handiwork in our nation today. The first is Baal. You hear a lot about Baal in the Old Testament. The Israelites were always against people who worshiped this God. Baal was the Moabite God considered from the people who worshiped him to be the Lord of the earth. Scripture also calls him Satan. The Bible calls him by many names. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, Paul writes to the church. He says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commanders of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Another translation will call him the prince and power of the air. He is the commander. He is the top demonic force in the world. All other spirits are subject to him in the demonic realm. And he is the one who is the leader of those who are in rebellion against God, the prince and power of the air. He is the devil. In mythology, he is also called by other names like Zeus and Thor those popularly depicted in pop culture. But he is the ruler of the culture, master of the rebellious. He is the spirit behind the occult and the antichrist. He is the adversary to Jesus, everything that opposes Christ the Lord. In 1 John 4, 3, it The Bible tells us there's a spirit of antichrist. It's the spirit that blinds the minds of men to to believe that Jesus never even existed or walked the earth. It's the spirit of antichrist. And the devil is behind that belief system, that way of living. In Psalm 106, verse 28, it it reveals that the devil is the power behind those that are involved in the occult or the worship of the dead. He's the one that rules over the culture, leading it into opposition to God. You wonder why popular culture is anti-Christ or anti-God in just about every way. It's because the devil runs the media. The devil runs the culture. The second spirit subject to Baal is the god Molech. Molech is the spirit of hatred of children. 
and typified in the worship of Molech is the child sacrifice. People would throw their kids into the fire to worship this deity. He's the spirit behind abortion. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 21 talks about how the death of the innocent pollutes the land and this spirit is leading our nation and the nations of the world to continue the child sacrifice to pollute the land to give power and authority of the land over to the enemy. And then the third ruler in culture is the goddess Asherah. That's the Babylonian Inanna, called the Queen of Heaven or the Queen Mother. This term is used in the Catholic Church as the Queen of Heaven, but Mary is not the Queen of Heaven. Some say they've seen Mary or the Madonna in apparitions around the world, but it is not Mary they've seen. It's Asherah. It's Inanna. It's the spirit of sexual perversion, gender confusion. Inanna, or the worship of Asherah, included the the first temple prostitutes that were men who were transgendered to look like women and they committed all manner of sexual acts to worship this goddess. This became famous throughout the known world at the time. Gender fluidity is not a new idea. This revolves around this worship of this goddess. She was known to transition between men and women all of the time. It's not a new idea. It's a demonic lie spread by the enemy in our culture. And these are only three of the top principalities that we wrestle against as believers in our world. And we can plainly see their handiwork in our culture. But see, even though we wrestle against these three principalities, it's important as it pertains to healing, especially God's will for healing, is because God's will is not simply to heal your body. His desire is to heal the whole world. And one day Jesus is going to say, Daddy, enough is enough. Sound the trumpet. I'm going to set up the kingdom once and for all. And he's going to descend with the shout of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise. The believers who are alive and remain will meet him in the air. And he is going to set up the kingdom of God triumphantly on the world for all eternity, putting an end to the reign of the unholy trinity and every demonic spirit in the world. He's going to cast them into the lake of fire where they will be no more. Amen? What a day. But while we wait for that day of salvation, we live in this world. And we're told in Scripture that even though we live in the world, we're not to be a part of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, come out. Somebody say, come out. Come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. God's will is not that we start a commune and just live to ourselves because you can't share the gospel that way. But his writing here is saying, though you're in the culture, don't become part of the culture. Don't don't become so entangled that your entertainment glorifies the demonic powers that are ruling the world. Come out from among among them. Romans 6.16 says, don't you realize you become a slave? Somebody say a slave. You become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. Not what is forced upon you, but what you choose to obey. We've talked in this series about agreement, about the authority we have in Christ, that whatever we bind is bound, whatever we permit is permitted. And if we choose to permit demonic influence in our lives, we will become slaves to that influence. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. 
Your agreement with sin and with the devil will determine what is your master. And there are many lies sown in our culture, in our world, that have taken root into our lives. These lies told to us by culture are whispered into our very minds from a very young age. And as we grow up, we believe them, giving them a powerful effect in our lives. And Paul says here, we become a slave to whatever we choose to obey. The perfect illustration of this is found in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. The prophet writes this, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two people walk in the same direction without being in agreement in that direction? And the answer is no. Which is why if Jesus is heading this way and the culture is heading this way and your life mirrors more of this, you are not heading in the way of Christ. Your life is in disagreement with the Lord. When you enter into agreement with a lie, it's intended to do just that, to break you away from living a life in agreement with God's will and plan for your life and leading you down the path to destruction. Even if not at first, a lie from the enemy always leads to opposition against God. You cannot walk in the same direction as the devil and walk in the direction of Christ at the same time. And many are trying to reinterpret the scripture, even retranslate the Bible in order to affirm lifestyles and belief systems in our modern day. But if the Bible doesn't affirm how you want to live, it's not the Bible that needs to change. It's your unrepentant heart that needs to change. The Lord is clear. If you're not walking in the same direction as scripture, if you're in opposition to the Lord, you are walking away from the purposes and plans God has for your life. Plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. Satan does not mean to help you, but he desires to enslave you. That's his entire goal. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus writes as he's teaching his disciples, he says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the what? The truth, and the truth will set you free. It's in remaining, walking in agreement with the teachings of Christ, remaining in a heart connected to God, remaining in the truth that shows you're truly his disciple. And if you are walking in that truth, you will not only know it, but it will set you free. Set you free from what? The power and influence of the enemy. Remain faithful means remain in agreement. That's how we know the truth. John 12, 35, Jesus says, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Jesus is the light, and as we walk in the light, we will dwell in the light. We'll see where we're going. We'll have clear vision. We'll be able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, the things of God and the things of the world. Jesus leads to freedom. The truth leads to freedom. The world, the culture, leads to bondage and self-destruction. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 13 is urging the church. As I urge you this morning, Paul says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. He's encouraging the church, use your entire body, your whole self. Let none of your body be used to serve sin and the devil, to follow the ways of the world, but use everything. Submit your entire self to be an instrument 
for the glory of God. And how do we do this? Well, he tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, the pathway to keep a pure and clean body, a pure and clean temple of the Holy Spirit is first in intentional living. In verse 1 of chapter 12 of the book of Romans, it says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. God doesn't want just a part of you, beloved. He wants your whole self. He doesn't just want your weekends. He wants your weekdays. He doesn't just want your weekends. He wants your weekdays. To ruin your fun? No, to set you free. To deliver you. So how do we give ourselves completely to God? He says in verse 2, don't copy. Somebody say copy. Somebody say the behavior. Somebody say the customs of this world. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. Why? Because the devil owns the world. Don't copy the devil but be transformed into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, after your mind has been renewed, then you'll know God's will for you. It takes a process of renewal, a process of sanctification to get your mind and your heart in agreement with God. And as your mind goes, so will your body. As your heart goes, so will your whole self. That's why Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, sanctification is not just a churchy word or just an agreement with facts. Sanctification is the renewing of the mind to break down the lies of the enemy that you've believed since you were a young child and replacing those lies with the truth so that you can then walk into the truth both physically, mentally, spiritually, and practically every aspect of your day. Philippians 2 verse 12 Paul says, dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Another translation will say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This doesn't mean you can earn your salvation. What it means is that you need to guard yourself from being overtaken by the lies of the enemy. This is how strongholds are broken down. As you are walking with the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You will show the results in your life, evidence of your true salvation, of being born again. Guard your heart. Walk in the Spirit. Take authority. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And we have a lot of scriptures we're looking at today, but these are important to get a solid theological, biblical framework of what we're talking about so that your faith can be steadfast and strong and you can smell the schemes of the enemy a mile away. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, we are human. My wife alluded to this verse earlier. It says, but we don't wage war as humans do. We don't pick up sticks and stones. We don't fire shots. What do we do as believers? We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We tear down the strongholds, every false argument, every lie of the enemy, every which way God, uh, the enemy has gotten man to feel like they are uh, arrived or evolved that of God in themselves and makes them feel proud of themselves. We tear those things down with the truth so that we can set people free. 
We teach them to obey Christ. We capture the rebellious thoughts that the enemy has implanted, and we deliver them by teaching them the powerful truth of the Word of God. Remain faithful to Christ puts you in the truth. And if you remain in the truth, the truth will set you, what, beloved? Free. Tear down the strongholds. Wipe away the lies. Replace with the truth. This is the foundation. It's fundamental because of the issues we face in our culture and in the world. These are not just physical issues we face, but a lot of the physical issues we face are a result of spiritual issues. Why some people don't get healed when we pray for healing, reason number five, is spiritual oppression. Spiritual oppression. The spiritual oppression or the power of the enemy, the strongholds in their lives go undiagnosed. You see, we often, like our medical society, we often end up treating the symptom before we even find a cure for the cause. Oh, I have a cold. Okay, well, get me that Benadryl or, you know, get, get me that, you know, NyQuil, that good stuff. I'll inoculate my symptoms for a bit. I'll feel better for the moment. And what happens? The medicine wears off and we go right back to the same struggle. It's the same spiritually. We can medicate symptoms, but until you take care of the cause, you're still going to struggle with the malady, with the issue. And a lot of the physical issues, even a sickness in the body, comes as a result of spiritual issues in the heart. James 1, 14 through 16, James, the brother of Jesus, says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He is sniffing out his prey day in and day out. He is an enemy who's engaged with us in spiritual warfare. And like any enemy or any enemy combatant, he is studying his enemy looking for weaknesses in their defense. He's looking for weaknesses in your defense where he can weasel his way into your life. That's why Paul says, put on the armor of God so that after the battle, you'll remain standing strong, discerning the schemes of the enemy. You see, Satan tempts you based on where you are weak. As he studies your life, as he looks at your past, as he looks at your, your weaknesses, the things in your life that you wrestle with and that you struggle with, the, the weaknesses that James says here is our own desires, things that we're naturally given to. You see, every one of us has what the Bible calls besetting sins. You might not struggle with being a thief, but somebody else might. There, there are different things we each wrestle with, but we all wrestle with sin. There's not a person here who's escaped that reality. So the enemy's looking for the area you wrestle with, and he begins to slowly weasel his way in your life, giving lie after lie, temptation after temptation, to prime you for a point where you will give in to what he's been feeding you and then open the door to his power and control, his influence and control of your life. See, he wants nothing more than to sow death into every area of your life, and if you allow him, he will do so. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a what? A foothold to the enemy. It's not just anger. What he's talking about is unrepentant sin. 
when you allow sinful desires, sinful actions, things to go unrepented of, unreconciled to the Father, when you don't make your relationships right, when you know you spoke out of line and you should apologize, but you just choose not to, or, or you did something in secret that you pray no one finds out about, and you just keep trying to hide it and hide it. All these unresolved issues in our lives open a door for the enemy to get a foothold. This is a military term that simply means to gain ground. If you look at a a battle situation, every army is looking to gain ground. The more ground I gain in your life, the more chance I have to win the battle. And this is what the enemy is looking for. He's looking for an opportunity to gain ground, to get a foothold, to bring the attack. In Matthew 18, verse 34, Jesus is telling a parable to his disciples who asked him, how many times should we forgive? So when we think of sin, we often think of just the big ones the things that we can see on the external. But our hearts are deceitfully wicked. No one knows how wicked they really are. And often we have sinfulness in our hearts that's unresolved and undealt with. And so Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples about forgiveness. And he goes into the story about this king who has this servant that owes a huge debt. He was about to sell his servant into into slavery to put him into prison until the debt could be repaid. And the servant cries out, oh, king, have mercy on me. And the king does, forgives him this massive debt that he'd be impossible for him to pay. But when he gets his freedom, he then goes to every other person that owes him a far more insignificant debt, and he sells all those people into prison until they could pay their debts. And when the king finds out about how this servant whose debt he forgave, this immense debt he forgave, was treating all the other people in his life, he brings him before him. And it says in verse 34 of Matthew 18, And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the, what's that word? Tormentors. Till he should pay all that was due to him. And then as Jesus finishes this parable, he turns to his disciples. He looks at them square in the face and he says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father also do unto you, if ye from your hearts do not forgive not every one and their brother their trespasses. He's talking to Peter, the pinnacle foundation of the early church. He's saying, if you don't forgive my Father in heaven will do the same to you. Is he literally saying he's going to call the cops if you don't forgive and have you thrown into prison? No, that's ridiculous. But what he is saying is, I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors. If the angels of heaven are ministering spirits to minister the good for the body of Christ, who are the tormentors? It's the devil. Demonic forces. Sin opens a door, it gives ground, it gives a foothold to the enemy to bring in oppression, to bring in dysfunction. The presence of unforgiveness and other sins licenses the enemy to torture your soul. That's why when you see someone who's a bitter person, no one wants to be around them because that bitterness infects everyone connected to them. The enemy's not just content with taking you down, he wants to take everyone down in your life. And he will use the open door, the ground in your life, to sow destruction and dysfunction into other people's lives. It has a detrimental effect on your physical health. Repressed emotion, pain, stress, overwhelming stress, all of these things scientifically are proven to have a negative and detrimental effect on your body. So when we license the enemy to oppress us, to have power and influence in our lives through sin, through not walking in agreement with God in any area of our life, 
This brings about the number six reason why people don't get healed. It's closely tied to number five. Not only do people not get healed because of oppression, but they don't get healed, number six, because of our agreement with that oppression. The Bible tells us to confess our sins. Confess your sins to the Lord, and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If we choose not to confess, we want to hide all this stuff, then what happens? We stop being in agreement with the word of God, and we start walking in agreement with what the devil is telling us. We believe the lies and fear over the truth that sets us free. And it gives power and influence to the enemy. Our agreement with the enemy and our choice to sin allow that sin to remain as a festering wound or an open door to spiritual oppression. And oppression manifests itself in many different ways. Sin happens in many different ways. James tells us that really sin happens in one of two ways, sins of omission and sins of commission. The things you do that you know that are wrong and the things you neglect to do that you know that are right. If you choose to disobey God, you know that God doesn't want you to do it, and you do it anyway, it's sin. But if there's something good you know God wants to do, and you refrain from doing it, that is also sin. It's not just what you do, it's also what you refrain from when we violate the will of God. For instance, I'm going to make this real personal, and this is an area that I've struggled with my whole life. When you struggle with your weight or obesity. Obesity is an epidemic in our culture, in our nation. It's kind of funny when we had a, a foreign exchange student, Natalia, stayed with us many years ago. We asked her, she's from Slovakia in Europe, and we asked her, what do, you th- what do the people in Slovakia think about Americans? And she didn't want to really tell us at first. And I was like, no, really, what do they think? And they think, well, we think Americans are fat and lazy. That was what her, that's what her, you know, comment was. And we looked at kind of practically we're like well yeah americans are fat and i don't know about lazy but you know obesity is an epidemic i've struggled with weight my whole life if you could go back and see pictures of me 10 years ago when we first came to michigan you'd be like that is not the same dude i looked like the stay puff marshmallow man jr and like i got stung by a bee and never took care of it you know it's i don't understand it just it shocks me i have nightmares about those pictures but what does this reveal see obesity can be can be caused by a glandular issue. It can play a role. But just when you research it, you'll, you, and you just look practically, you'll never see a health-conscious person eating fast food multiple times a week. You'll never see a health-conscious person with a secret candy or junk food drawer that they dip into every day. You'll never see a healthy-conscious person like stress eat without being conscious of what they're eating. Right? How ridiculous, how confusing is it, is it to go to like the drive-thru, get the largest burger full of whatever that you can find. You know, it's the mo- most unhealthy sandwich or meal, but you order the extra-large Diet Coke like you're doing something good. Diet Coke doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't offset the calories you're eating with when you're smashing the unhealthy burger. But it's confusion. We think it's doing it, but it's not. It's confusion. The enemy has sown so many lies about our health. And, and, and obesity is just one of the areas. And Paul, the Bible tells us, talks to us about gluttony. Gluttony is a sin. Overindulgence is a sin. He says, whatever you're enslaved to, it's your master. And we'll be enslaved to nothing but Jesus Christ. And so there are things in Scripture that we just ignore and we deny because we don't want to deal with the issues and the problems. Like someone who develops lung cancer because they've smoked cigarettes their whole life. That's not persecution. That's a consequence of harming the body God gave you. There's realities 
we agree with these realities, and then we get the consequence, and we think God's not there. No, this is a consequence to the agreement, to the lie that you believed from the enemy long ago. We deal with these types of consequences all the time, these realities, these strongholds. You see, being overweight is not an issue with being heavy. It's an issue of addiction, depression, compulsion. God uh, says uh, in Philippians 3.19 of idolatrous worship. It says their God is their stomach, their belly, only thinking about the things they crave. It's an issue of anxiety, condemnation, guilt, and shame. All of these are spiritual issues. Solve the spiritual issue. Solve the weight problem. God wants to free you. There are many spiritual influences working together to keep people in a state of self-destruction. It is how the enemy works in the life of people, and especially the body of Christ. There are generational curses, things that have come down the family line because of stuff opened up in a family that can be stopped, can be undone. But when rather than standing against it, we just accept it as the way we are in this family, then that continues to perpetrate dysfunction in the life of your family. Abusing Criticism doesn't have to continue down the family line when the children in the family stand up and say, no more. There are many examples in Scripture of how demons and evil spirits manifest and what type of influence and control they exert over a person. And we're going to go through this quickly because we don't have time to dig into every one of these. But I'm going to list them here for you. These notes are also in the YouVersion Bible app notes. So if you want to refer back, you should be able to do that later today. But in Judges 9.23, the Bible talks about a troubling spirit or a spirit of ill will. This is a spirit that stirs up trouble or strife. You want to wonder what's behind the rioters? It's a spirit of ill will. It's the, you wonder why your family doesn't ever get along and why you hate each other and you can never do family get-togethers? It's a spirit of ill will. 1 Samuel 16, 14 is a tormenting spirit. Brings about depression, anxiety, fits of rage or delusion. 1 Kings twenty two twenty three. there's a lying spirit, sows rumors and gossip. As well as 2 Chronicles 18.21, the same deceiving spirits. Isaiah 8.19, spirits of divination or witchcraft or control, using spiritual power to try to control the people in your lives. And we can do this relationally where we use manipulation as a means of control or controlling other people. Isaiah 19.14 is a spirit of foolishness. A person who lacks godly wisdom or makes foolish decisions over and over again, a pattern of bringing difficulty into their life and not blessing. Isaiah 29.10, a spirit of deep sleep. This one worries me probably more than most of these. It's this deep sleep spirit stifles your ability to hear from God and gain revelation from the Lord. It makes you spiritually apathetic. You ever get into a place where you just don't care about the things of God? Well, it's possible that there's a spirit of deep sleep in your life. Ezekiel 23, verse 8, a spirit of prostitution. This is physical unfaithfulness or spiritual unfaithfulness. It works against people and their commitment to God. Zechariah 13, 2 is a spirit of impurity, uncleanness, sexual religious impurity, a religious spirit that leads people into idolatry or not the worship of the Lord. You can see this in greed and covetousness. Matthew 10.1 are evil spirits and unclean spirits that bring about diseases. Mark 1.26, there's a spirit of convulsions or seizures. Mark 3.11 is a stumbling spirit or shrieking, just shrieking out of nowhere. It could be connected with other mental illnesses we're aware of. Mark 5.8, 
talks about grouping spirits that bring about an intense stronghold in a person's life. It could be responsible for multiple personality disorder or insanity, where all the different spirits work together to bring about a destructive end in a person's life. Mark 9, 17 through 25 is a deaf and dumb spirit. Prevents them to hear, to speak. This could have connections to a condition we have in our day that's up in the focus of everybody's life in the realm of autism. Luke 7, 21, spirits of infirmity and sickness and disease. Luke 8, 2, evil spirits connected with disease. Luke 8, 29, spirit of power and control. There are some spirits that enhance the ability in people to do supernatural things like feats of strength, intelligence, and other, other areas. They're not just born that way. There's a demonic presence that's giving them that power. 2 Timothy 1.7, spirits of fear and anxiety or timidity or intimidation, a lack of boldness. 1 John 4.3, it's a spirit of unbelief or the spirit of antichrist. And these are just some and not all. The Bible doesn't give us a list of everything the demonic realm does. This is just some. And we can see this in every area of our life. We can see in Scripture that when the enemy has a foothold, he can manifest his presence in our lives in subtle but yet significant ways. And not just in the realm of mental illness, but also physical illness. One of the lies that our enemy has sown into the body of Christ, and many are caught up in this lie who believe that just because they have a relationship with Jesus, that, that the enemy cannot touch them. But that is far from the truth. This is why many go unhealed, because they're praying for the healing, but they're not dealing with the cause of the problem. There are oftentimes where we, we pray and we pray and pray, and nothing happens. But then the revelation of the Spirit gives us the spiritual cause. We're able to deal with that, and then the healing can come. I had a, a, a person I was ministering to, my wife and I were ministering to, and I went over uh, to their house one day. We prayed for something like six hours. It was intense. And at the end of that time period, that person was delivered of a spiritual oppression. It was evident that they were delivered. But they were experiencing a manner of different health issues. But since we had victory there, I'm thinking, well, let's pray for uh, other areas. And they had a tumor just under the skin, a, um, a swelling that you could feel. And so I put my hand on the tumor, and I prayed in the name of Jesus, and the thing popped in my hand. They were facing surgery. And when they went to the doctor, the doctor couldn't find it. God healed them like this. It's amazing. But why did that happen? It's because the power behind the sickness was dealt with. Before, we could have prayed and prayed and prayed, and it wasn't dealt with. The question is, was, does that mean the name of Jesus has no power? No, it just means the will of that person was still in agreement with what the enemy was doing in their life. And when that will was broken, that agreement, that license was torn up, was shredded, the power of the enemy was broken, then God's healing power could do his work. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 4, Paul is talking to the church about this very issue. He, he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We need as the body of Christ a sincere and pure devotion to our Lord and Savior Jesus. The enemy is trying to lead us astray. And he says here, I believe that if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, a false Christ, another religion, might have Jesus' name on it, but not the Jesus that we know. He says, I believe that someone preaches that, that you would receive them. 
than other than the one we proclaimed, or that you might receive, that word receive means to take by the hand, or take upon yourself, or take in order to carry away. Verse 4, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different, what's that word? It's spirit. You receive a different spirit from the one you received. When do you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, he seals you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He comes upon you when he anoints you with power. But here Paul is saying there's a time where you could receive another spirit. When is that? When you've been led astray. You could accept a different gospel, a falsehood, a lie, a message than from the one you accepted. And what is the revelation of this acceptance? He finishes, he says, because you put up with it readily enough. You've been preached, you've been sown a lie, you've been given another spirit, and you have put up with it, or you've accepted it, and you've agreed with it. And he's talking to the Corinthian church because they were so zealous for revelation that they were so open-minded that their brain had fallen out. They were looking for revelation and for supernatural experiences in every possible way, and they were so eager for the supernatural that they were willing to sacrifice the truth they had already believed. And he was rebuking them for being willing to walk away from the true Christ, the true gospel, the true Holy Spirit, the true way to freedom, and receive falsehoods and seducing spirits and demonic influence. This is why one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is a spirit of discerning of spirits, so we can see and smell the schemes of the enemy a mile away and run for the hills or stand our ground. It's another term for sanctification in our day, is the term inner healing. And Paul describes this inner healing process and encourages all believers to be actively involved in it. 2 Corinthians 7.1, he says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us, read this with me, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Let us, this is encouraging. He's saying, do this. Work toward complete holiness. How do we do that? We cleanse our body. We cleanse our spirit. This is our mind, will, and emotions. We cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile. What can defile? Anything that's in agreement with the enemy. Anything in our lives that's out of the will of God. That's how we work toward complete cleansing, complete holiness. You see, the struggle we have today, especially in the church, we talked about this as we talked about faith and, and growing in our faith, is many believers get in their spiritual lives to this place where they believe that they've kind of arrived spiritually and there's no more growth yet that they need to have. There's nothing else that they need to do. So they stop growing, they stop cleansing, and they continue just to put up with or accept the things in their lives that just aren't right. And it's an open door to the enemy. They accept the fear, the anxiety, the depression, the timidity, the infirmity, the sickness, rather than continuing to partner with Jesus until their broken hearts are mended and they're able to walk free from the oppression that the enemy has been sowing into their lives and to their family for generations. So if we're seeking healing or we know someone that needs to be healed and the healing isn't coming, you've prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing has happened, chances are there's a spiritual component that needs to be dealt with first partnering with the Holy Spirit to pray and cleanse us from what can defile both the body and the soul. James tells us in James chapter 5, he says, if you need healing, if there be any sick, 
He says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other and you will be healed. And that always puzzled me. I always wondered, what does confessing sin have anything to do with healing? It's because sin opens the door to the devil. And when you confess, you put it in the light, you break the power of the enemy in your life. When you walk in the light, whatever the enemy has his hands on is removed. So you confess, you come into agreement and alignment with the word of God, the enemy is removed, and then the healing can come. This is an issue we all are wrestling with, all are struggling with. Maybe today you're struggling with a physical illness you just can't shake. I want to encourage you that there is healing and breakthrough pronounced by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You believe that? Amen. But maybe he's just waiting for you to come out of agreement with some things, some stuff in your life you've been holding on to. To confess your sins, to confess the issues, to lay your burdens down at his feet. So Jesus said, come to me, all you are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's not just poetic language. Sin creates burden. David writes in the Psalms, because of the sin in his life, it made him sick even in his bones. Sin creates physical issues. Sin creates mental issues. And when there's stuff in our life that we have yet to turn over to the Lord, it will create difficulty, infirmity, open the door to all manner of oppression. And Jesus wants to take that from you today. This is why the cross of Christ is so important. This is why the blood of Jesus is so important. Because he gave his life so that we could have life. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment as the music begins to play. The Lord is with us. The Lord is doing a work even now. There's a reason why that you've come here today. There's a reason why this message was preached today. It's not to condemn. It's not to invoke fear. It's to help us realign our lives, to get us out of the world. Though we might be in the world, it's to pull us out of the world and to put us on the path of righteousness, to get us out of the shadows and into the light. There are many struggles that we are facing that are a result of spiritual issues, and Jesus wants to bring the breakthrough in your life today. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal the power of God in your life. But that will not come until you come into agreement with what God wants for you. So, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, begin doing your, your work, Lord. Conviction is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing because it draws us close to Jesus. So, Lord, search our hearts. Know our wicked thoughts. Point out any wicked way in us and lead us on the path of everlasting. Come, Lord, and expose the work of the enemy. Shine your light. God, we prayed for breakthrough and freedom today. God, I pray that your church would desire that same breakthrough and freedom and be willing to do whatever it takes to find it in Jesus' name. For the next few moments, we're just going to go into a time of prayer. Maybe today you need to first begin by beginning a relationship with Jesus. There's never been a time in your life where you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Where you say, God, I know I've made mistakes and I know there are things in my life that aren't right, but I trust and believe that, that you love me and that Jesus gave his life for me and I want to receive that gift. I want to begin a relationship with you and find the reason why I was created. I want to discover why I was created.
And today I want to give you my life. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I just want to lead you in a prayer right where you are. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to do anything. But the Bible does say you need to confess Jesus with your mouth. So I'm going to ask you just to pray that just out loud but silently where you are. It doesn't have to be booming or or where everyone can hear you, but just utter these words. And if you believe it with your heart, the scripture says you will be saved, that the healing work will begin. Your life will come into agreement with God for this moment. And he'll begin a work in your life to bring the healing that only he can give. So right where you are, as if you're standing before the throne of God, just say, Father, thank you for loving me and sending Jesus to pay for my sins. I believe he died for me and he rose again so I could be saved. So today, I give you my heart and I proclaim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Heal my heart. Save me. I'm yours now and forever. us at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.
of us at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.